If you want to know what in the world's going on, find out what in the word's going on. Where are we at in this thing? I didn't say America. Where are we? The church. Where's the bride of Christ? Right now, it really doesn't matter where any other nation is. What he said is going to happen is going to happen. And there's literally coming a day, according to Zechariah, the prophet, in the scriptures, that every nation will turn against evil, uh, turn against Israel. Every nation. But friends, we have a greater kingdom. We have a royal priesthood. We belong to a holy nation. While we live here, we have earthly responsibilities, but we have kingdom perspective. Amen? So say this with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I will be who it says I can be. I believe every word. It was written for me, for my correction, my direction, my soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word in Jesus' name. Listen to me for a few moments. Apart from God, our value system will always become jumbled. It'll always be troubled. It'll always be a mess. It'll always be issues there. Can we get in and make a difference in it? Absolutely, but only through Christ. We can only do things through Christ. We can begin to confuse sweetness with bitterness, light and darkness, and good and evil. They start to blend with one another, okay? They start to jumble and mumble together. Biblical morality will eventually become labeled as intolerant and oppressive. Listen, it already has. We have a tendency way too much because our Christianity is based upon an, upon an end arrival, a result without an end. Right? Our life here on earth comes to an end, but then there is no end. And because we have that mindset, we so often live everything in the future tense, and we're not really worried because the trouble we experience here, when we hit that end result of life, death, we come to the end of life, we're going to eternity, so, so what? But while we're here, it can distort, it can trouble, it can confuse it can steal. It can damage. We should be living the best life here, not just waiting for that life over there. Amen? Matter of fact, I truly believe the spiritual warfare, the trouble, the chaos that is going on in our life right now could literally deceive many people and could rob them of their eternal destiny. I really believe that. Because there's things going on that people need to repent of, and you cannot come into the kingdom of heaven without repentance. I don't care what you confessed. I don't care when you confessed. If you're not living a life of repentance, you're not producing fruit. Come on, somebody. How many of you all be honest with me that you were a Christian at one time, and then you weren't as Christ-like at that one time, and you repented of things, and you're more Christ-like now, and you're happy that you are, right? Because you knew that you couldn't keep living that way and pleasing God. People will take offense to the very truth that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You can find that in John 14, 6. And the reality is people have taken a great offense. We're living this day. Let's deal with real issues. And that's why we'll, we'll sense some spiritual warfare if we deal with real issues. But if we're dealing with issues that don't really matter at this moment, you'll probably get free of spiritual warfare. 
you, you probably won't be experiencing the oppression and the, uh, the resistance and the, the, uh, the confusion and the challenges that come with that. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Okay, uh, that's stated in John chapter 3, verse 20. It's right after, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who shall believe in those who believe, it says in 17, the believers will, will get life and, the, and, and the, the, those who don't believe will be damned and condemned. And it's like an either or. It's just like a, a split either or, whether you are or you aren't. But then he starts giving us some, some realization, some evidence that could cause you to be... Uh, uh, convicted or cause you to be arrested. I believe it's interesting how the world system has taken on the concept of conviction, but our concept of conviction, as good as it is here in the land, is not really a kingdom principle. You see, conviction here on earth locks you up. Conviction in the kingdom of God sets you free. Sets you free. But here we find out that if somebody is performing evil acts and evil deeds, if somebody is doing what is evil, they're not doing it out of the love of Christ. They're doing it because they love darkness. And my biggest concern that I have found in the church through these 30-some years of ministry is that it's not that people don't love Jesus. It's that at times they love other things more than Jesus or other people more than Jesus. You say, well, I, that's, that's just your, your concept. No, it's scriptural. That's why Jesus says you need to return to your first love. You put your love even into ministry. I've seen people love their church and love their ministry more than they love Jesus. Because they start doing things in that church and in that ministry that don't reflect Jesus, but they become evil works. They, they, they start to produce bad fruits. A tree will be known by its fruit. All right, and so fruit inspection is important. Whether your root is good or whether your root is bad, whether it is pure or whether it is unclean, whether it is righteous or whether it is evil, your fruit will determine what you are and where you're planted and what you're doing. So people had a tendency to love darkness rather than light. So we're living in an age that we have to be careful. We're living in an age that has, has arrived, according to what Isaiah said in chapter 5, uh, that evil is being called good and good is being called evil. So calling good evil and evil good is a sure sign of spiritual wickedness at work. Do you hear me? I, you know, I listen to the news periodically. I don't listen to it consistently. Uh, because I'm a little insulted that if I listen to it on Monday, Friday, they're still telling me the same thing. Right? But watch how it's deceptive. They said the gas prices are because of the Russian war with Ukraine. But the gas prices are going down, but the war's still going on. I don't, I, I'm not going to say stupid. Because I don't say stupid. I don't let my children say stupid. So I'm not going to use the word stupid to say. I don't know if there's another word. Yeah, there is. Deceived. Ignorant. 
And the scripture uses all three of them. But it uses deceived and ignorant a lot more than it does stupid. I'm not here to degrade anybody or condemn anybody. But to maybe say, wake up. Become aware. There's a lot of deception that's going out there. Amen? But they seem to never really tend to deal with the real issue. The real issue is God already said it's going to be this way. He, he wrote it descriptively, prophesied it, let, let uh, Jesus say it and let Matthew record it. I mean, it's written throughout the scriptures that this is the way it's going to be. Timothy wrote it, or Paul wrote it in his instruction to Timothy that there be days like this. And here we are. We're in the midst of it. But yet we have a tendency to not be aware of it. And then every so often, a, a certain news station or maybe another one will bring in some little God story in the middle of it, like one-tenth of one-tenth of the tenth of the one-tenth of the thousandth of the tenth of what their whole show is about of talking heads. So if we minimize the good news just to keep you listening, I don't use the word stupid. I'm not supposed to use the word stupid. But why are we stupefied? Why are we baffled over what's going on when the word of God has already told us what's going to happen? Now, here's the big deal. You ought to feel somewhat of a badge of honor that God created you in this hour. But we're still looking back to 2,000 years ago, wishing we had some Pauls, wishing we had some Stevens. Wish... When they're sitting in this room, we're a holy nation. We're a called people. We're the kingdom of God. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We're champions, amen, of the faith. We have a race to run. We have a fight to fight. And that's where we are. We're fighting in the midst of a spiritual battle right now. We're in a difficult, difficult season. But we can make it. We can win, amen? The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Sounds like a really wise person, doesn't it? Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age. Listen, there's a God war going on. The devil still wants to be known and worshipped like he is God. Now, you need to understand this. He wants to be worshipped, and, and he's, getting, he's, he's getting the job done. He's pretty successful in what he's doing. And he's even influenced a lot of Christians that sometimes we worship Christians as if they were God, as if they were our point of worship, our favorite singer, our favorite preacher, our favorite message, our favorite choir, our favorite. And we look to that. Somebody asked me a question last night in the text. I did not know the individual. And they asked me a question, and they simply asked me uh, pointedly, how can I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and how can I do this? I just don't know, and I, and I just thought I would ask you. I said, well, I'm going to tell you how. Ask him what you just asked me. I really don't want people to have their faith in the wisdom of man, but to have their faith in the power of God. 
Because without the power of God, nobody, it doesn't matter what they know, it does not matter what they experience, but if they don't have their faith in the power of God, they will face a spiritual warfare that they will not win because they must know that they can't have their faith in the wisdom of man and the strategies of man and the plans of man of how to have a cool church service and how to get it just right and get the temperature just right and get the chairs just right and get the wall color just right and all that kind of stuff and to nail all that stuff so that you choose to come here and not to the Performing Arts Center to be entertained somewhere else or to go to some other church. No, no, no. We need to have our faith in the power of God, that God sets captives free. That God can crush and dismantle the confusion in your life. He can heal the body issues inside of you. He can, you get what I'm saying? Having our faith in God. Uh, Paul warns of, of the intensity of a spiritual battle in the age that you and I are living in. Friends, they saw this 2,000 years ago. Now, here's the reality. They had it 2,000 years ago. Uh, they had it 1,000 years ago. Uh, they had it 10 years ago. The idea is we just don't see the, the, the escalating of it. We don't understand how bad it's really getting because we don't want to take responsibility for the age we're living in, and so we just pass it on to the next generation. Allow it to pass. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, yeah, I, I told my children, I'm not afraid to speak truth. I want them to have spiritual truths and things. The love of money is the root of all evil. Right. You need to hear me. The love of money is the root of all evil. The most sinful city I've ever been in, they even call it Sin City as if it's a nickname. Las Vegas. It's the love of money. But you see every other aspect of, of, of vileness in that city just walking down the street. But friends, you can walk down the street in Scottsboro now and see vile and wicked and evil. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Notice that he put in the middle of it, not lovers of good. We stand in the midst of a battle between good and evil. And there's everything out there trying to convince us, trying to employ us, trying to distract us, to see it from a different lens. That's not so bad. Why? Well, because it's not as bad as that. Now, that's bad. But if you let what's not so bad become kind of good, eventually it'll become so bad that you won't know good from evil. Cutting through the confusion over right and wrong, enlightening spirituality, darkened minds is what the Bible does. The Bible engages you. It gives you, it's your arsenal it is your arsenal. For, it's your supply line to give you what you need to fight these battles. But also the Bible will give you understanding of precepts. It'll give you the knowledge of what really is going on in the kingdom and that the kingdom still rules over the world. 
And then we have victory at the end. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. The Bible will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It'll give you the light to walk through this darkened uh, era in which we live in. In our fallen condition, we have a tendency and a difficulty to not be able to rightly discern. That's why he put in the Bible one of the gifts that he would give us is discernment. The discerning of spirits. Discerning the spiritual realm. If we get the spiritual realm figured out, the natural realm will do a lot better. It's like if we get delivered from all of our fears, our troubles won't be as many. You follow what I'm saying? If we get ourselves spiritually set, to be carnally minded is, is, is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if we get more spiritual, I'm, I'm exhorting you, taste and see. Taste the spiritual realm of God. Uh, spend a little bit more time in prayer. Spend a little bit more time listening to God. Spend a little bit more time in worship. Don't get anxious or frustrated that, that they sang five songs instead of four songs. I've been there before. I've been there before. Because I've been worried about people like you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we've got to be out of here. Take a little bit more time with God. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. There's a lot of great stories in the Bible. This is a unique one. This is where I felt like the Lord led me to this morning. I'm going to point something out to you. I'm going to pick up in verse 28 of Matthew 8, 28. And when he had come to the other side, speaking to Jesus, the country of the Gergesines, there met him two demon-possessed men. Wouldn't that be a fun day? Coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce. So you need to understand, two demon-possessed men. That means there is a spiritual condition attached to human beings. Okay? And they're exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. Have you ever found yourself? I'm not in any way having an intention to get political. That, that's not my goal. That's not my interest whatsoever. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think abortion is good or bad? Right? Uh, do you think the same-sex marriage is good or bad? Uh, then you have to start asking God or evil. You follow what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that are happening. They're just, uh, they're fiercely uh, moving forward with a fury. And it seems like it's just like there's no way to stop it. There's just no way to stop it. The main thing you need to be concerned with is not stopping it, but stopping it before it gets to you. Don't let it get you, okay? That's your first act of defense. Is that you make sure that you don't just give in to the ploys and the craftiness, that you don't start to handle the word of God deceitfully yourself, that you don't start to twist it and turn it to make it out to be that will justify just something for you and, and let things get away. Are you with me? Very important that you don't let it take you. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Okay, let's just stop here for just a moment and let's get a, a picture of this story here, okay? Jesus just shows up on the seashore. Two guys jump out in the middle of the path. Nobody else can come or go, right? Sounds like the walls of Jericho. Nobody can come in, nobody can go out. They're standing there blocking the path. That's what it says. Nobody can get through. Jesus shows up and he says nothing. 
He has, he has no all hail King Jesus choir traveling with him. And they go, Jesus. They call him by name. It's like they're personally acquainted with him. You need to understand there's something still bigger than where you live. They knew him thousands of years ago. Even at that state when they were still angels in heaven, they had to bow and worship to him. But they decided in heaven somewhere, listen to me, don't think you can't be a strong Christian and decide to bail out later. Now get the concept. In heaven, some people decide they don't want to worship God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit anymore. They want to go with this musician. They want to go with this guy that wants to be worshipped like he's God. And then they get kicked out with him. Fallen angels. But they knew him. Listen to me. But they said, son of man. They knew him in his human nature. They could see his spirituality even as his humanity. You need to understand something. I don't know if you're getting this. I don't know where you want to stand. I don't know where you want to be when the demonic gets in your path. But they could see the demonic on those men and they could see the kingdom of heaven on him. My point is this. No matter how demonically oppressed or evil something comes, it's a choice of what happens and choices you make on life. But the reality is you can walk in the Holy Ghost too. You can walk in the Spirit of God and people can recognize it. And not just people, but spirits can recognize it. So he shows up on the scene. They said, what have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? We left heaven. We're down here to rule and reign. What do we have to do with you? You know, you need to stop and consider sometime of people in the Bible who were possessed with devils and how they responded and reacted to the kingdom of God and to the person of God and to the will of God. They would say, are you here to torment me? Leave me alone. These guys are saying, what do we have to do with you? When you find somebody who is totally disinterested and totally uh, 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 re rejecting Jesus and obstinate to Jesus, friends, you need to understand something. There's some spiritual warfare going on there. Well, are you saying they're possessed? Did you hear what I just said? You just read into something. I said there's some spiritual warfare going on there. I don't know why it is we always want to defend everybody who's doing something evil and something wicked and try to prove somehow they're not possessed with the devil. I think it's because we wouldn't know how to deal with it. Did you hear me? I think it's because we would not know how to deal with it. Fits of anger and, anger and rage, hatred, murder. I literally prayed over a young man. I might have shared this Wednesday night. I prayed over a young man uh, uh, recently in a, in a meeting. And they were ministering, were ministering to him, and he was going through some, some, some really strange stuff. And, and I went to pray for him, and I said, I, I bind up anger in a murderous spirit. Now, when you say that, and mom's over here, and dad's over there, and brother and sister's over there, and pastor's over there, you get this little cringe because you really don't know how people are going to respond. They kind of get offended. I mean, they're happy that he's going through something, but you really don't want to be identified by something. I wasn't speaking to him. I was speaking to the Spirit. And then they told me after the service that they'd literally for a year have been concerned by his 
patterns and by his activities of his uh, isolating himself and hiding himself away and the rage he would operate in, they, they were concerned that he was going to be one of those people who one day would go out and go to a school and kill people. I just got to harvest that. He got delivered. He got set free. And can I remind you, that's why we're going to Chicago. People aren't just going to wake up one day and say, we're not going to kill anymore. There's spiritual battle going on there. Have you come here to torment us? Listen to this, before the time. Did you hear that? The demon said before the time. They, they, they know there's a time coming they're going to be locked up. They know it. Do we know there's a time? Do we know there's an appointed time? Did we know that now's our time as a church? Now, a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. That's pigs eating. Okay, it's pigs eating. So the demons begged him. I'm not going to let any demon out worship me. So the demons begged him, saying, if you, cast, if you cast us out, they knew he had the power to do it. Isn't it amazing? We don't know if we have the power to do it. But the demons knew that he had the power to do it. Christ in us gives us greatness, amen? Gives us authority. He says, if you cast us out, if you permit us, go into the herd of swine. They're asking Jesus permission. And he said to them, go, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and the parish into the water. I'm going to take a whole lot of time on this. But notice there's two men. There's a herd of swine. I haven't done my herd calculations yet, but it's more than two. And these guys had more than one demon on their life. But Jesus can handle not just a demon, but he can handle demons. Listen, this is how powerful Jesus is. He cast out one-third of heaven in one moment. One-third of heaven. It doesn't matter how many demons there are. He can cast them all out. Amen? And they perish in the water. Then those who kept them, those who kept the, the, the swine, fled. They went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So they're not just saying, man, the, the, the pigs went in the water and they drowned and they're over there and the, uh, I heard these weird voices and, and they're standing away. And, and, and these men. So it said they told what happened to these men. So in other words, somewhere they said, and these two guys got delivered. Wouldn't you think right there, a little praise break? Wouldn't you think right there, a little hallelujah, shakalaka, whatever? I mean, it doesn't really matter. But you think somewhere that would be good news. Two people got set free. Watch this. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Revival. I mean, something's happening. There's a stirring. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. God. Yeah, somebody say, say what? Is that in my translation? They wanted him to leave. In other words, 
They wanted pigs more than presents. They wanted pigs more than preachers. Uh, It's a little skewed. Are you talking about being snooped? These guys have been massively, majorly deceived. It's a little concerning to me that they begged him to depart from their region. We're here trying to beg him to come to our region. Share just a couple other stories with you to, to build a basis here. I'm really here just to inform you this morning, to make you aware of the condition, the state that we're in, and that this isn't the first time, and to give you some answers. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 25, and so it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, surely the Lord God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man. Uh, What is happening here, it's what Moses had always done with God. Now, God has let the people do it with them, and they're saying, man, this is what has happened. This is what's going on. God's referring to, man, you guys came, and you spoke with me, you met with me, and and I spoke to you, and this is their response. God still meets with man, I want you to know. He does not just meet with preachers. He doesn't just meet with apostles and, and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He meets with man. God still speaks. Listen to this. Let me go back to that last line. Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory. We're crying out for his glory here. We're crying out for him to come to our, to our region. And his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks to man. Yet he still lives. There's a little clause in here. And they were saying that, oh my goodness, we, 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 we have an understanding that if you met with God, you're going to die. If you see God, you're going to die. If you hear God, you're going to die. So they had a bad perception of meeting with God, but now it's proven wrong. You can meet with God and not die. We, we, we've done it. We've experienced We have tasted the goodness of the Lord. Listen, tasting is just an introduction. Uh, then you need to learn to feed on. Jesus said, my meat, I talked about meat earlier. He said, my meat is to do the will of God. Let me ask you something, church. Please hear my heart. Have you even considered not just this morning, but this week or sometime last week, what is God's will in this matter? What is God's desired intention? What is God's purpose in your life? If you're not, you need to. Now, you may have a plan and all worked out. A man plans a way in his heart, but the Lord will direct the steps. He will get you to the end result, but it'll be greater than what you thought. So it's not necessarily or merely going to be what you thought. But right now, there's many people sitting in this room that already have it all thought out, already have it all planned out, and, already, and, and you're going to miss God by not considering the will of God. Amen? It's one of those moments I have to say, I'm a happy man. I'm blessed. I'm in love with my wife. I love you. I love going to church. I ain't mad at you. It's my passion. I just I know that God's speaking. I think he wants to wake some of us up. Yeah. Wants to alert some of us. He said, and he still lives. Now, therefore, verse 25. Now, therefore, why should we die? What? You just found out you don't have to die when you meet with God. But what they're dealing with, the process to getting with God, requires self-denial. And many people in the church want the preacher 
to do all the fasting, want the preacher to do all the seeking, and they want the, the staff to do all the hearing God's voice for your counsel because they don't want to die to themselves. They don't want to fast. They don't want to have to say no to certain things. That may not be you, but you get the picture. For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? They've been snooped. By what? They're afraid of his presence. They're afraid of the presence of God. I have this inkling that we have a tendency to be afraid of his presence because we lose control. We're not in charge anymore. Uh, we're, we're, we don't have our bearings anymore. We're, uh, we, we come out of, uh, of being everything orderly and set in place, and all of a sudden God comes and unravels our life. And maybe something that we did not know to be God, we decided, well, I don't have to do that because I don't know. Then God makes it known to us, and then we don't want to agree that he's made it known to us because it could change the plan that we've already made over here. We're afraid of his presence. They were afraid of his presence. You go near and hear all that the Lord your God may say, Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear it and do it. Sounds like where we are today. I don't know that at the same scale, but we've conditioned church, and there's nothing wrong with church unless you're doing church wrong. Church shouldn't be your first go-to with Jesus. Amen? Church should confirm you, should rally you, should encourage you, should exhort you, should cover you and protect you, should mutually feed you, but you should have a relationship with God yourself. You should, listen to me. You should have a personal relationship with God yourself. Everybody ought to say amen. amen. That's bottom line. We'll get to something in just a second. Do not be afraid of his presence. God's not coming to kill you. If he's coming to you, he's coming to give you life. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 18. So she said to Elijah, what have I to have to do with you, O man of God? It's a widow woman with a little son. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? One reason we don't want to go to God, we might lose what we've already fell in love with more than him. Another reason we don't want to go to God because he might point out our sins that nobody else has noticed yet. And notice here she has a perplexed perception of God in his presence. Elijah representing God and representing the word of God and the presence of God. She thought he was going to come and remind her of her sin. So obviously she must have had some sin that she tried to forget. Friends, forgetting your sins for yourself will do you no good. But she thought he was going to kill the son. He came to raise the son from the dead. I think sometimes we can have a perplexed perspective of God. We think that God's always going to point out the bad in our life. God's always coming to judge us about something. God's coming, as he said this morning in worship, he's coming to help. He's coming to give hope to the hopeless. He's coming to rescue those that need freedom. I remind you, God is for you. He's not against you. God loves you. God cares about you. God wants you. In Amos chapter 7, then Amaziah said to Amos, 
Go, seer, get out of here. Flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. So is it the possibility, presidents instead of prophets? Political instead of presence? You see, there's this ongoing where people choose, and some people say that good is evil. All three of these are saying that God, God's a bad guy. He's not a good guy. They got this concept, and, and I don't know that perhaps, maybe perhaps you somewhere in your lineage and your heritage and your pursuit and your journey and, and your childhood to your adulthood, that maybe you've picked that up somewhere. Just like last week, we found out that maybe we have the wrong perspective of what anger really is to God. There could be and should be nothing more contrary to our desire and determination that we would want Jesus in our region. There's no way that there should be anything that we want more than Jesus. But throughout the Bible, and I'm, I'm, I'm skimping on the examples of people who pushed him and stiff-armed him away, who hardened their hearts towards him. Jesus should never have to wonder or wander in our region. Jesus should never have to be standing in a road thinking, should I stay or should I go? Could you imagine the depravity of begging Jesus to leave? Of loving pigs more than people? No, did you hear me? Loving pigs more than people. Now, I'm going to be very gentle here. I'm going to be very easy here. Because I have met in my journey people who love animals more than they love people. I've met people in my journey who love hobbies more than they love their households. You can go on down the line and talk about those things, but you have to ask, like Jesus asked Peter, allow him to ask you, do you love me? Remember, he denied him three times. How many times did he ask him if he loved him? Three times. He can redeem and restore and replace through your positioning of your heart affection for him. Amen? So let's take a moment to realize we're living in a time that it's necessary to be able to discern between good and evil. But let's define evil. Morally reprehensible. Let me say something to you. If you're living an immoral life, whether it's mentally, even an issue of your heart or your integrity, or if it's your physical, that's evil. No, you need to come to a conclusion and realize something. That's evil. You see, discerning between good and evil is discerning between God and devil. That's the bottom line. And whoever you serve, that's whose servant you are. Whether it's under righteousness, right? Or whether it's under sin. We can't placate our sin anymore. He's really trying to draw us out, call us away, separate us. It is arising from actual or imputed bad character or conduct. 
causing discomfort or repulsion, offensive, disagreeable, causing harm, marked by misfortune, unlucky. This is the definition of evil. So he's saying, I'm always experiencing hardship and difficulty. Friends, there's spiritual battles somewhere. I'm not saying you're evil. That's not what I'm saying. But I will say this, what we sow, we reap. And I think we need to get some, some deep Holy Ghost detergent in our lives to clean some things out. Amen? The fact of suffering misfortune and wrongdoing, something that brings sorrow, distress, or calamity. In Genesis, the very get-go of our faith. Oh, dear Lord. How did I get there already? Joe, you can come join me. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. You can thank Eve and Adam for this one. They become like us to know good and evil. So in other words, he's establishing there's an either or an or. And they also know within themselves that evil can be very enticing. It can be very desirous to go that way. And now let us put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. We need to reach the cross fresh and anew. Amen? We need to come to the cross. We need to choose the cross. Uh, the life that was shed, given uh, at the cross is the only way we'll have life is through Jesus Christ. Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and I will deceive many. One thing you must know, Jesus is the only way. The other thing you need to be able to discern between Friends, there's going to be good ministers and bad ministers. There's going to be good prophets and bad prophets. There's going to be true and there's going to be false. And here's one indicator of how you know a true prophet from a false prophet, a true preacher from a false preacher. Are they leading you to know Jesus for yourself? Or are they leading you to know that they know Jesus better than you do? I'm so messing with your religious business. So messing with it. Some of y'all won't even take notes. You can't find anything good about this message. You might think, why are you tormenting me? Friends, I'm telling you, there's more attachment than we realize. The spirit of Antichrist is already amongst us. It's already within us. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Then if anyone says, you look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. The false Christ and the false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. You know, a lot of people take that passage of Scripture and go, well, it's not possible to deceive the elect. I can't be deceived. Jesus would not say to you, do not let anyone deceive you. If it were not possible to deceive, he's saying, make sure you don't give them the possibility to deceive you. If you know the truth, you can't be deceived. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So he's literally telling us, be careful. Even from within, there's going to rise up ploys to deceive. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Did you hear that? 
Do not be overcome by evil. Don't let it overcome you. Don't let it rule you. Don't give it that place. But it also says, do not overcome evil, but by with good. Don't, don't use evil to fight evil. Don't get into that fight on your own strength. Don't get in that fight in your own ability. You do good, you'll conquer evil. Do you hear me? If you do good, I mean, it all ties in. Wednesday night, two weeks ago, be good. Just be good. When you get to heaven, let me ask you a question. What would you want Jesus to say to you? It's already written in the Bible. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So we ought to have a better mind just to simply be good. Amen? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's saying here that we need to protect ourselves, defend ourselves, but we also have a response. Listen to me. We also have a responsibility to overcome evil. We need good people in office. We need good people in our schools. We need good people in our neighborhood. We need to be good neighbors. Amen? We need to have a mindset that we can overcome some of this evil that has come amongst us and upon us. Amen? Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good. You can stand to your feet. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them. I want to mind you, the wrath of God is never the first act of God, His mercy and His truth. You and I need to be vessels of truth. We need to be vessels of honor. We need to understand vengeance belongs to God. I'm here to tell you, listen to me. Do not get mad. Do, God, do not get mad and angry and frustrated and, and do not try to retaliate those who are doing wrong. Don't get into those debates and argue and fight over them. Not, not at all. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will handle that. He'll take care of that. You and I ought to show them the mercy he's shown us. Amen? We ought to declare the truth he's conveyed to us. Listen to me. We may be small, but we can make a difference. The key here is that you are able to discern between good and evil. First thing is knowing that there is good and knowing that there is evil. Amen? And I'm here to tell you, God is good and the devil's evil. Are you with me? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. I'm declaring these over you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Do not be afraid of his presence. Revere the Lord. Reverence the Lord. Listen to me. I promise you this. I promise you this. If you get faithful in attending the house of worship, the house of God, if you get faithful in that, you will grow, you'll mature, you'll be wiser, you'll be more blessed, you'll be more spiritually minded. It's a good thing to go to church. You know that. There have even been people that have made church look to be as if it's evil. I know there's cults out there. I know that there's, there's bad churches. I understand. I know there's bad preachers. But the reality is it doesn't make church not good. God instituted church. It's a good place. That's just, that's just a simple thing to do. Simple thing to do, to go to church. Fear the Lord. They were afraid of his presence, so they didn't want to go there but they wanted somebody to go for them. 
Nobody can go there for you. You need to know how to go on your own. Amen? Last verse. Psalm 37, verse 27. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forever. I don't know that it could get much more simple than that. For me to simply say to you, and that would be our altar call today, that would be my exhortation to you, depart from evil. Look at me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's people in here that are still doing things that they ought not to be doing. I'm going to look at my own life. This is for the glory of God. It's in the fear of God. You can't be cussing out of one lip and praising them out of the next. Amen? You can't be loving your wife and lusting on your internet. You can go right on down the line. Depart from evil. Then what do I do? Just do good. No one's asked me to do great right off the bat. Just do good. I would encourage you to look at everything you can and compare it. Is it good or is it bad? I remember a youth conference Gretchen and I went to years, years before. Good decision, bad decision. Everybody do it with it. Good decision, bad decision. Could you imagine if you looked at everything in your life? Is this a good decision or a bad decision? Is it going to glorify God? Is it going to honor God? Is it going to magnify God? Is it going to make me more godly? You go down the list and you just look at it. And, and when you do that, don't just do it once. Determine you're setting a track for a new lifestyle. Depart from evil. Do good. Pretty simple. And you'll live forever. And you'll live forevermore. Amen. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to let you make it personal with the Lord today. You're welcome to this altar from the get-go to the can't-go anymore anytime you want. You can come to this altar and make time with God, but this is it. I encourage you right now to take a moment to commit to God that you're going to do good, you're going to depart from evil, that you desire to live forevermore. Lord, I thank you for the incredible altar call we've already had. There may be needs here now that people need prayer for. We're open to that. Lord, I'm asking that you'd inspire our hearts, inspire our minds today to depart from evil, just to to lay some things aside and to do good and live forever. Let me ask you this question. You can look at me now. How many of y'all want to do some good? How many of y'all want to make a difference? How many of y'all would agree with me that it's pretty evil out there? It's pretty bad out there, but we can be better, amen? We can make a difference. Lift your hand if you want to make a difference. Father, I pray over your sons and your daughters, Lord God. Inspire them. Lord God, I ask that you uh, equip them. I ask that you would anoint them. I ask that you would encourage them. I ask that you would release them. Lord, that we could go and do some good this day and this week. And I pray an anointing and a grace upon their life in Jesus' name. Amen. If you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you want someone to pray with you, you have a physical need or a spiritual need to be prayed for, please come forward. There'll be people here to pray with you. God bless you. We love you. The Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he give you his peace, protect you, and provide for you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.